0: Is anybody here the same person they were 20 years ago? Wow, Keila, that was some eye roll. (laughs) Her eyes went all the way in the back. (laughs) Praise God that we can grow, (laughs) right? (laughs) It's not a big room. (laughs) Praise God that we are not the same person that we were and that we are not held captive by the person that we were. I will tell you, the Zack Jackson of 20 years ago would not be in this room, and would certainly not be in a room with this many rainbows in it. Um, Unless we were doing like a uh, Noah's Ark kind of deal, and then I'd be like, because I'm that insufferable guy. Well, actually, there's not actually seven colors in the rainbow, but. We only have seven colors in the, the rainbow because Isaac Newton wanted seven, because that's how many notes there are in a scale, and he likes the number seven. That's why we've got that indigo violet nonsense. It's just purple, but anyway. <sighs> You goaded that out of me. (laughs) The Zack of 20 years ago um, was was very, I would say, actively bigoted, um, especially against uh, people in the LGBTQ community, but not limited to. Um, I think I've mentioned before, I dated a girl whose mother was a Lutheran pastor. And I told her straight up that her mother uh, was not, uh, didn't understand scripture and was not a legitimate pastor. Um, I mean, like that's who I was. I spent a summer one time going, I went to a political camp at Princeton and prided myself on the fact that I wore an NRA t-shirt and stood up and red faced yelled at someone about mocking my God. So that's who I was in those days. I went to Wheaton College, which Uh, calls itself, unironically, the Harvard of Christian schools because I wanted to go to a conservative Christian school. I was reading through my old Zanga journal, which those of you in a certain age will know, that for a certain decade or so of time, what we may call millennials now thought it was a great idea to put all of their journals on the internet for everyone to see. This was not a good idea. Nobody does this anymore, but I still have them archived, and my decision to go to Wheaton is in there as this is a place where there are no drugs and no alcohol and uh, no homosexuality. That is, I put that out there for the internet to see. I'm not proud of that. Um, So I went there with that kind of a mindset. And that kind of mindset didn't change until after college, but it changed because of somebody from college. I had a friend in college, um, I'll, call him, I'll call him John. I don't think he's watching the live stream, but I didn't ask him permission. Um, so John was uh, about my height, blonde, a vocal performance major who helped to start a local community theater. John ha- was obsessed with Barbara Streisand and threw a birthday party for Barbara every year, um, and had every single one of Barbara's movies on VHS and DVD. John was a certain kind of person outwardly that you may say everyone around saw John and thought, all right. But he told everyone, that's not who I am. I'm into girls, I just never have a girlfriend is what he told people at Wheaton. Um, and as long as nobody said anything about his sexual orientation, it was never an issue. And he certainly never said anything about it, which why would he at Wheaton? Um, and so everyone just pretended like he's, he's totally straight. Because he's a Christian. Of course he is. He's a Christian at Wheaton College. Of course he is. Um, after college... He came and visited Philadelphia when I was living there um, because I think he was auditioning for um, for a, a role in a local theater production and came out to me. Um, he said, "Zach, I I don't know if you know this, but I'm gay, and here's my story." Um, his story was that he knew <laughs> has. Most people do, from a very early age, that he did not find women at all attractive. But he was told by everyone that he was supposed to. And that God made him that way. And so he spent his entire adolescence and early adulthood hating himself, praying to God, why would you make me this way? Why would you make me this way? He told his parents, but not like, hey, mom and dad, I'm gay, isn't that great? he said, mom and dad, I th- I'm attracted to men and I don't want to be, can you help me? And so spent every summer at conversion camps, every summer, willingly going because he wanted to destroy this part of himself, wanted because this is the only thing that he knew. So he went to Wheaton College and when he s- told people, I like women, he was trying to make himself believe that because there's no possible way on earth that God could still love him if he actually was honest about who he was. So he wasn't just closeted, he was actively trying to undo who he is. And then he was introduced to uh, the gay Christian network, which is exactly what it sounds like, a network of gay Christians. And they showed him not only that God does not hate you for who you are, but God made you this way on purpose. This is, not a, this is not a thorn in your side that you're supposed to live with. This is not your great temptation that you're supposed to fight in order to get treasures in heaven. This is a gift that was handed to you for, for the betterment of the wider church. And he said in that moment... He felt the spirit of God that he had heard about for all of those years, and that something changed in him. This God that he had been afraid of, that he had been trying to figure out how he could possibly please, he for the first time understood all of those scripture verses about this loving God, about this assurance of salvation, about this joy that comes from salvation. He understood it for the first time, and it changed his life. And he became, as we say in the evangelical community, on fire for Christ. (laughs) And it totally changed everything about his disposition. And I noticed it. Because I don't know about you, but I've got a sort of God-dar. Where like, (laughs) if the Holy Spirit is alive and at work in a person, there is a kind of radiance to them. You know? And I could feel that just coming off of him. And remember, at this point, intellectually, theologically, I'm still there where it's like, no, no, no. The Bible very clearly says, this isn't possible. And yet, I'm watching it be possible in front of me. That this friend of mine, who was so near and dear to my heart, but I had never really seen much in the way of that spiritual energy, suddenly is so alive. And I thought to myself, could this kind of energy be possible if this were demonic? No. Because I've felt that energy too. That is not this energy. This is the presence of the living God in somebody not despite for who they are, but because of. And so I went home totally freaked out (laughs) and I did what any good Baptist boy who went to a conservative school and got a degree in ancient languages with a minor in Bible would do and I went to the Bible because I know this thing backwards and forwards I know the Hebrew and the Greek and I can read it in all of its historical context I've got that Harvard of evangelical Christian schools education behind me after all So I went combing through the scriptures. And for all of the fuss that is often thrown around about this issue, you'd think it would be in there more. But when it all boils down to it, there's seven verses in the whole thing. Um, There's more verses in there about how to wash your hands than about who you love. which you, we all know, sing happy birthday while you're doing front and back. <laughs> See? Yeah. You are righteous then. So I, I, I went through and I, I, I immediately was able to cross off the Sodom and Gomorrah story, the, 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 the Levites uh, concubine story, because those are not actually about same-sex relations. Those are about... Um, sexual assault essentially and uh okay those are easy then there's the two passages in leviticus which are pretty clear but also in the same chapter about not wearing cotton polyester blends and planting two types of fruits and vegetables in your garden and about proper hair care and i'd already gotten tattoos and didn't see a big problem with that because that's in leviticus 19 as well and you know okay two verses in leviticus great. I can do away with those. I'm not a Levite priest from 3,000 years ago. They don't apply to me as much. So then there's, there's like three passages then in, in Paul's writings. Jesus never talks about this. There's three passages in Paul's writings, but Paul does this weird thing with those writings where it's not the typical word you would use for same-sex relations. It's one that he invents himself, arsenikoitai, which, you know, then you, don't, you can't look at other texts and see what they meant over here and try to do that thing that we, we biblical studies people do and we try to discern, pull out the meaning from ancient words. We've just got these, like, two cases to try to figure out. Literally, it means man better, that he just shoved those two words together and we're supposed to then pull out meaning from these things. And so I'm there with those three passages in Paul at this point. And it's been days of research. And I'm down to three passages. I've already crossed off four. Okay? And now I only need to cross off three more before I can accept that the Holy Spirit is present in my friend. And that's when it hit me what I was doing. I was treating the Bible like a series of of locks I had to undo before I could accept. The spirit that was present in front of me. That if I could get that out of the way, then I could properly love. But I had to explain away those things before I was able to. Because that's where I learned how to hate. I should clarify, that's where I was taught how to hate. That is not truly when I studied scripture, when I actually studied scripture for the first time, it screwed me up because I was like, all the things I was taught are not actually there. Um, I always joke that it was it was Jesus that made me a uh, bleeding heart liberal. It was this actually thinking, hey, maybe the Sermon on the Mount should be taken literally. Um, that was what messed me up most. But it was when I realized that, that I felt this presence of the Spirit drawing me away from those passages, those arsenikoitai passages, malakoi passages, trying to figure out what those were, and towards this scripture that we read today. Acts chapter 10, in which Peter, Jesus' right-hand man, the leader of the church, later we'd call the first pope, He's kind of a big deal. The rock on which I will found my church is what Jesus called him. And he's hangry, as we get sometimes. And God gives him a vision. And the vision is of a sheet filled with animals. And he says, go ahead, have your pick. But all the animals are the unclean animals he's not supposed to eat. The law very clearly says you shall not eat those things. I mean, there is a lot of verses about those things. And he knows better, and he says, ha-ha, trick question, God. That's not what I'm supposed to do. I know that. I'm a good boy. I was raised this way. I was taught this way. This is the way we've lived our lives. This is the way society works. These are unclean animals. And God says, do not call unclean what I have made clean. And he goes, what? That's not in there. And at the same time, a group of men are coming to him to find him, to bring him to a man who had another vision. This happens sometimes, by the way. I don't know if any of you have ever experienced this. Sometimes God gives you a vision, a weird feeling, a thought that you can't quite figure out. Like, why am I thinking about daffodils right now? What is happening? But then you pay attention to it, and you find somebody else who has had a vision similar to that. And when you see that person, the connection's made, and it makes sense. This happens still, by the way. Pay attention. So these three men take him to a Roman centurion's house. Do you know what the word centurion means? We use it, you know, a century is 100 years, right? A Roman centurion is a Roman officer in charge of 100 soldiers. These are an occupying force in Judea. These aren't just, you know, like we're going to the National Guard. Rome was actively oppressing these people. They were desecrating the temple they were killing people in the streets. They were forcing people out of their homes. They were stealing things from them. They were kidnapping women. They were, these were not friendly people. And this was not even a soldier. This was a commander of a hundred soldiers. Now the text says, but he's a really good guy. <laughs> but still, how many times did that really good guy say, I was just doing my job. I was just following orders. That is not a house that a good person should walk into. In fact, he says in there, hey, you know as well as I do, the law forbids me to come into your house. Your house is an unclean Gentile's house. Your house is full of blood. I'm not allowed to be here. Not only I don't want to be here, I'm not allowed to. The law forbids this, but the spirit's doing a weird thing right now. And I've seen enough weird things to know I'm just going to walk into it. And he walks in and the Holy Spirit descends on people. It says they're speaking in tongues, which is kind of the New Testament's way of saying there's a weird spiritual energy in the room and things are happening. We can't quite explain. (laughs) What's that? that. (laughs) (laughs) So then, my favorite thing is not in this, in this passage. It comes later when Peter is reporting this to the Jerusalem church. He goes to the other elders, the other disciples, the other people who follow Jesus. And he tells this story and he finishes it by saying, I know it's crazy, right? I thought the same thing. I thought this shouldn't be possible. And yet it happened. So who was I to stand in the way of the Holy Spirit? Is the words that he uses. Who was I to stand in the way of the Holy Spirit? And so he let it happen. And that is the reason why I'm assuming we don't have anyone here of Jewish heritage. Why you were all a part of the church. <laughs> because those early Christians saw this thing that was directly against the law that as that had been given to them, as the interpretations of scripture that had been given to them, but the spirit was doing something new and beautiful and powerful, and they said, we're going to go with it. Instead of, yeah, but how do we justify this? How do we justify the Holy Spirit first before we move with it? They said, no, the spirit is at work, and so we're just going to ride this wave. <laughs> So God showed me that story. And then I forgot about those other passages. And that's when I realized that not only had I been reading those passages wrong, but I'd been reading the whole thing wrong. I have been using scripture as a way to justify my actions or to allow myself not to love fully, if that be the case. Now, that was never meant to be a roadblock. That is meant to be a messy history of God's relationship to humans as God continues to open and expand that love to all humans. So my own heart and soul started to open, started to expand, um, and I started off with, well, all right, we're all sinners. We all have our own things that we struggle with, and it's not so bad, and God kept pushing on that. He kept saying, you're falling back into that. You're falling back into that. We read later in the book of Ephesians that uh, Peter, despite having this experience, when the other more dogmatic Jewish leaders were around him, he started to forget about the Gentiles as much. And Paul was like, you hypocrite. If you're really following the spirit, this will be an extravagant welcome. And so the Gentile church opened up this new world of of, uh, interpretations, a new way of understanding God that was not just contained in Judea, Judea. And just in the same way, as I mentioned last week, our open and affirming covenant, which you all helped to write, does not say that all are welcome despite their sexual orientation, gender, despite any of that. We don't use the word despite. We use the word because. Because your varied differences help us to better illuminate our kaleidoscopic God. Somebody told me recently that, um, in a way trans people free us to be, um, are, are, are almost liberative for cis people. That in, 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 in the body of a trans man who is, who is running counter in some ways to what society says a man should be is giving me then freedom and license for the many ways that I don't fit in to what society says a man should be. And so frees us all from the binaries that society puts on us that nature doesn't put on us. Nature doesn't care about binaries. You know, that's why I said there's not seven colors. There's a spectrum of colors. (laughs) Nature doesn't care about binaries or distinctions. Nature is expansive. Nature is open. Nature reflects its creator in all of its brilliance. So what I have come to find is that I have more to learn about God from the LGBTQ community than I realized I did that there are so many ways that I can understand God understand Christ understand the the dual natures of God as as Robert Shargos writes that that Jesus in Jesus's self just queers all the categories that that we would throw down on God and In thinking of it that way, it's just so much more powerful than saying that, you know, Christ is both man and God of one will, of one substance, of two personas, and the ways that we've tried to define God using philosophy. Instead, we have learned to define God using lived experience, using our very bodies, our expressions. Um, Nobody is able to teach us love and acceptance more than our siblings in Christ. And quite frankly, anyone within the LGBTQ community who has stuck with the church for this long should be sainted and maybe knighted, I don't know, but has more to teach us about steadfastness than almost anyone. And so as we move into uh, Pride Month, and we go to uh, Pride Fest as we are living into our convictions. Um, my prayer for you is that wherever you are on this, on your own journey, um, that you would know the living spirit that is doing something new within you, within society, within all things, and that there is so much more for you to learn, that this book is not. A s- is not a weapon, that this book is a beautiful comfort. It is challenging, but it should only cut you, and it shouldn't be used to cut others. <sighs> and so my prayer for you is that you would know the living Christ in new ways, in ever-expanding ways, that you would meet the infinite God within all of the infinite kaleidoscopic pieces of all of the people in their beautiful, authentic, true selves. And that you would know God and through that know yourself and truly, truly love yourself in a way maybe that you haven't allowed yourself to do before because of the ways that scripture has been used against you as well. So can we say a word of prayer to that Amazing, beautiful, kaleidoscopic God. Lord, before I was born, you knew me. You formed me in my mother's womb. You knew how I would rise up and how I would go down. You knew the colors of my eyes composition of my DNA, what I would struggle with, the issues I would deal with, the things I would rejoice in, the people I would love, and the ways that I would change. I thank you for loving me in spite of all of that, because of all of that, and I pray that you would give me and us that larger overview so we tend to get stuck in the moment. Help us to see ourselves and others the way that you do, as beloved creatures made in your image. And through that image, may we see you more clearly. May we find ways to see you in all people, and especially the people that we don't like or agree with. Help us to love those people, too. We're not very good at that. But Lord, as we move into this month, we also pray that you would give us the courage, the strength, and the conviction to love louder than all of that noise that would uh, threaten to drown this love out, especially that noise that is yelled out in your name. Um, We pray that you would help us to bring peace where there is division, love where there is hate, help us to affirm the goodness of your creation. We take a moment now, Lord, to remember our own prayers, our own concerns, our own joys before you, Um, and we invite all who are here to call those out by name.